Hello and welcome to the e-commerce playbook. My name is Andrew Ferris and this episode is about big changes that are coming. I'm going to skip my usual way of introing this show and tell you instead that this is the first episode of what I would call season four of the e-commerce playbook podcast. To help recap and follow along where we are in the narrative of this show and of 4x400's journey and of anybody who's followed along, the beginning of the e-commerce playbook podcast was chronicling the early stages of us, of me being the CEO at 4 x and of us trying to get this thing moving, then we called season two, basically, our time looking at 31 bits, where uh, we zoomed in on our attempt to get that brand to stick and to grow and to work, and it really never did. A season three would have been the last year or so, where we have tried to scale this whole thing as we sort out all these challenges, a mix of practical and tactical and everything else. The last episode I recorded before this one was our Black Friday recap episode, and now I'm gonna step back a little bit and talk about all of these major changes. And if you wanted a title for season four, that title I would say is Transition. A bunch of changes are coming. And to start off, I want to tell you about one of those in the context of our experience as a holding company or an aggregator, a company that's rolling up um, a bunch of e-commerce brands to try to build one big thing. We are now uh, about four years into this journey of running an aggregator. for me, two years as CEO. I and the people in our ecosystem have had a lot of changes in our opinions along the way, just like anything like this. We feel like we've learned a bunch. And as we are watching aggregators pop up everywhere, here's what I wanna do in this show today. First, I wanna give you my assessment of the aggregator model from my view on the inside and then from as far as I can tell, the landscape on the whole. There's good, there's bad. There's both. And then uh, at the end of that, I want to tell you about how that assessment is leading to some of the changes that we're making. This is a real-time podcast. That's part of what we do. We tell you things as they're happening, honestly. And we're trying to do that because that's the reality of running businesses. And that means at times telling you what's happening in real time and not knowing what's going to happen. At other times, pausing and reflecting on the journey so far and what we're learning in a broader way. And so this episode really is a little bit of both. I'm going to tell you some big things that we are doing differently. And, but those big things come out of a place of a few of us assessing the situation and reflecting on our position. And I want to do that by taking a moment to evaluate what I have been calling aggregator madness, aggregators gone wild, which is that everywhere I look right now, it seems like there are aggregators, holding companies, e-commerce holding companies that are like Forever 100, that they're rolling up all these brands, all these e-com brands into and scooping them all up, running them all at the same time. And then the goal, of course, would be to sell, sell the whole big thing, the whole holding company all at the end. And I see that everywhere. So Thrasio was the first big one of those, which you saw maybe you seen at a $750 million valuation or something like that. Um, an Amazon aggregator specifically, but there's a bunch more of them. And the market for them seems really hot. Open store, I think had the goal of acquiring one brand every day. There are also smaller scale ones like 4400 where we're acquiring very small brands and some others in the e-com space, Elements Brands with Bill D'Alessandro. You might've seen what he's doing over there. There's all kinds of stuff like this happening. It's just interesting being four years into running a holding or into working on a couple years of running an aggregator and seeing all of these pop up. And so to assess that, I wanna do that in four points, starting with the good, and then maybe a counterpoint to each of them. Because what's happening is these brands or these aggregators are raising a ton of money. That's part of it. People are starting these holding companies in part 
because they are, oh, there's also other ones, Pattern Brands, 365 Holdings with Kelsey Lyrics, who I've had on the show. So anyway, small, big, everything in between. Some of the big ones right now are making news because they're raising hundreds of millions of dollars. I think OpenStore raised 100 million, I don't remember. And that money was there specifically in order, a lot of times, to buy brands. I think I said this already, but OpenStore, I think, has had as its goal to, to buy a brand every day. And th there's, and I've actually talked to some other people who are starting one. It's just everywhere you look right now, people are starting aggregators. And I think the number one reason for that is fairly simple, which is that the market for investment in this is really hot. Uh, and that's sort of a truism, but essentially, I think what people are seeing is that multiples for e-commerce brands are massive. So when you go to sell your e-commerce brand, especially at some scale, people are getting eight to 10X on, on their EBITDA, giant multiples, giant valuations. And the bigger you can make the thing, the more that multiple goes up to the point where some people I think are seeing that taking these companies public creates really big multiples. So if you just can make it big enough to make it interesting on public markets, it can go really big and you can get these really big valuations. Okay, that seems to me to be what's going on at the core of these, okay? So I wanna talk about that basic idea first. This makes sense, okay? If the exits that people are getting are really big, then it makes perfect sense that you would want to go and scoop up every little brand you can get and make a bigger thing and turn it into an even bigger multiple. So here's a simple way of thinking about it. If I have one brand that does a million dollars and I can get, let's say I can get, let's say I can get 5X on that million dollars in profit. Okay, so I can get 5 million for my brand. And, and then I have another brand over, over here and I can make that brand to get to a million dollars in profit as well, or even it's already at a million dollars. And I can get 5X on that brand also. So now I have two brands, each at a million dollars in profit, each at 5X in multiples, okay? If I can take those two and combine them, and now I get 6X on $2 million in profits just because I have a bigger thing, it makes perfect sense. It is pure arbitrage to go buy them at 5X profit each. I hope that makes sense to you. What I'm saying is without doing anything to make the brand better at all, if I just take these two brands, okay, and by adding them together, every dollar they make actually is worth more money to me. An aggregator makes all the sense in the world. And I think that is actually true. At, at one point, actually, I was looking at trying to do this at 4x400 to say, wait a minute, there's an arbitrage opportunity here where if I could buy out all of the minority positions in all of these brands, I actually will have a much bigger and better thing. And we were gonna try and go that exact same route because it seems so obviously true. And the larger the scale you do this at, the bigger the multiples are. So it makes perfect sense to raise VC money against it because there's lots of money in the market as well. And so if you wanna raise venture capital, then you can make a really good case that especially if you get a brand at a million, get another brand at a million, and then you grow both of those brands some, then that valuation is gonna be really big. And there's an obvious, uh, path to liquidity for these here too, because um, you could either sell to PE firms, which are, are paying really large multiples on brands right now, or you could sell to, uh, to or like you could go public, like I said earlier, and again, see really big multiples. And I don't want to get into the exact numbers, but just take my word for it because the numbers change, I think, relative to all, all kinds of deals. The point though is the same, uh, is that this is a moment, okay? where there is so much money in the market that these aggregators are popping up to do this thing. And so that makes sense. So what aggregators are doing is they're grabbing brand after brand everywhere they can, scooping them all up and going from there, okay? So that is opportunity number one. The, the market for exits for large e-com D2C brands is really good. 
an argument number two in favor of an aggregator that I see is that the VC market is really good. So not, and, and these two go together, right? Not only is it the case that the M&A market is really strong on the back end, but of course, VCs and other investors are looking and going, of course, we're going to give money to you to do this. So the capital is there to go grow these big things. The exit looks good and the money, need, the capital needed to go fund that looks really good. Okay. Number three, I think a lot of aggregators have at their core, and I have talked to, talked to one person who has expressed this exact thought. Okay. And I have talked to a person who has talked to a person who has expressed this exact thought and, and I trust them. But what I think some of these people running aggregators are looking at is saying the roadmap, the playbook, you might say, <laughs> to, to scaling these businesses is really easy. The blueprint is right there and it's really simple. You buy the brand, you inject a bunch of capital into the brand's customer acquisition in particular, scale it via paid social, email, SMS, that kind of thing. And that is a very quick and easy path to making a whole bunch of money because it's actually really straightforward. You just get a good agency or you create your own internal agency. And by doing that, you have a real clear growth map for all these brands. And that allows you very simply to then to grow the brand. Essentially, the growth path is so easy and so obvious that you really don't have to work that hard to grow the brands. And look, let's be very honest. That's not totally wrong, whatever we assess that idea at. Some of you who are in the trenches probably are like rolling your eyes at this thought right away. And yet, you're probably also investing in Facebook ads because that is a pretty clear pathway that like this is the way to drive traffic to a site is that you go to paid social and you go to Google and you go to all these places and you, you drive a bunch of traffic and that actually is the recipe. It's very rare that a brand is actually growing at real organically. They exist, but it's a much harder, much slower pathway. It's not nearly so blueprinty or so playbooky. And so it's understandable that somebody with some experience in this place would look and say, the pathway is really easy. Let's just go get the brand and grow it, okay? So that's number three. The pathway to growth is fairly simple. Number four, the OPEX is scalable. And this was a core belief. I would say number three and number four were core beliefs of the, for 4F400. When we started, I moved over to 4F400 in part because I had a lot of experience growing our brands on the agency side. And so that like, I was strongest in paid media as a core skills advertising, that kind of thing. And then on top of that, we looked at it and said, the we can build an internal team that we can scale across brands and therefore cut OPEX as a percentage of revenue fairly simply by applying a bunch of marketers, just like an agency model, essentially 4 f 100 would house its own internal agency, and that we would be able to use the best practices we knew to, instead of having to put all of us in on one brand where there might be diminishing returns in some of our efforts, instead we could distribute the OPEX across multiple brands, and then that way our costs would be lower against the total revenue opportunity. And we thought that would make a lot of sense. And, and I think a lot of brands look at it that way. Is they, uh, and some of these aggregators look at it this way as well, which is that if you, uh, not a lot of brands, but excuse me, a lot of aggregators look at it this way. There is this chance. Now, this may be a distinction between the sort of venture-backed aggregator and not. The venture-backed aggregator might care a little less about shaving costs on OPEX because they are, they are sitting on a lot of capital and therefore it's not as so important to them that they share OPEX and, and all that. Although I've talked to, again, somebody from a different aggregator than I was thinking of before who has this model where they are trying to share costs by having a centralized team against multiple eight-figure brands, okay? So I know at least one, one aggregator that's doing that. 
And that seems to be a core thesis, okay? So yeah, and certainly for a smaller aggregator, some of the aggregators coming out of agencies, they are thinking about it in these terms. We have these agency type teams, we have these agency processes and people, we can put those against these opportunities in these brands. So those are the four things that I think are driving this, among other things. The, the M&A market is really frothy. There's a, a good opportunity for a big exit, okay? Pathway to liquidity is really strong. There's a lot of VC money available, a lot of investment money available. And there's debt available too. I didn't mention, but it's there. There's the pathway is fairly simple for growing these brands. And so it's a good thing to roll up where you do it multiple times with one thing. You build the process and just add on brands and go. And then a scalable marketing with, with OPEX, shared OPEX. Okay. Those are the things I see. Now I'm going to tell you what I think the problem is, or at least the challenge is with every one of those as well. Okay. I'm actually not going to do those in quite the same order. So try to stay with me. So let's talk for a second about growing brands. So the first thing I want to say here is the playbook to growing these brands is indeed pretty straightforward, as I said, in a lot of cases, at least initially. But I believe in my conversations with some of the folks in these businesses that they are drastically underestimating the challenges inherent in growing some of these brands and solving some of the problems. It is simply not as easy as it sounds. And there are plenty of success stories that rise to the top of people who have these massive growth curves because they, their advertising takes off and their product takes off and all that kind of stuff. But there are plenty of stories where it doesn't go that way as well. And so it is simply not the case. And I think this is something I would, this is a hill I would die on, that it's so as easy as it's. What I would say to somebody, and, and this is the conversation I heard about, one person who said to another friend of mine, hey, yeah, we're acquiring these brands and we're just going to go find an agency and we're going to just plug them all in and the agency will grow them all and that'll be that. And, and was as if it was that simple. Like they weren't even trying to build the internal scalable team at their aggregator. They were just saying, we're just going to go find an agency and the agency will grow the brands for us. And listen, if you give the agency a low enough profitability target because you have so much capital, this can work for sure. And I'm going to come back to that in a second. And to one of the key things I just said there, but what, one of the things that I have definitely discovered here is that it is simply not that easy, to, especially to create actual profitability at the end of the day, because you may be able to get to some level of Facebook revenue, but most times you are going to cap relatively quickly, and we'll just keep it that vague and that broad, relatively quickly on the profitable dollars that you can spend. And at some point, you're going to have a real opportunity for other things to work to drive revenue. If your whole plan is paid social, uh, then it's going to be a challenge. And because at some point you are gonna dry up your ability to do that. So there has to be LTV and there has to also be good enough margin in the product for this to really work. Otherwise, you're just not gonna be able to grow at the pace that you want to. And that when you're talking about venture money, you need to create really big outcomes. So if you are trying to grow these things really big, it can create all kinds of problems. It's simply not that easy to create massively profitable consumer brands. Consumers don't always care about your brand. They don't always like it. Some brands don't resonate and they don't stick. And there's a lot of competition for the space and Facebook is harder than ever and all of those things. I think there is, that is one thing that is going to knock some aggregators back. I think at some point they're gonna to try to grow this, grow their brands, and they will find it is simply not as easy as they thought and they're not creating any profitability. Now, uh, there's another element of this too, which is that sometimes I think, especially because if you're an aggregator, you have to go acquire a whole bunch of brands, the ones who are trying to do this at really big scale. A lot of times you're trying to acquire brands that are already seven figure plus brands, mid seven figures, even to the eight figures. A lot of those brands are already going to have tapped 
sort of what their total spend, what their cap the volume um, and the scale available to them on Facebook ads. If your plan is to grab an agency and grow it a whole bunch more and massively improve on their Facebook spend, a lot of times that's the thing that got them to where they are. So massively improving that's going to be difficult. And now it's going to be a fight against churn and a fight for LTV or a fight for additional revenue channels or whatever. So I think that's a big problem. Number two, and this is directly connected to that. Okay. What that then creates is that actually solving the marketing problems inherent in a brand can be hard. It can be really hard and therefore requires focused attention. And therefore your internal team does not scale very well. I believe this is probably the biggest sort of hypothesis U-turn we've had at 4400. I believe that the last thing to scale in an aggregator is marketing. I just, I think the notion in people's mind is that you will take this agency model or whatever and grow all these brands and solve the problems and it'll be no big deal. But anybody who's worked at an actual agency knows it just isn't that easy. And, and that like lots of brands work and lots of brands don't work. And one of the big things, probably they'll also tell you, that makes the difference for a brand that really works and that makes an agency a great partner for them is having an operator on the brand side who is good and thoughtful and creative and able to approach product and brand in really good ways. An agency can't do everything for you. So somebody has to be have their hands on the wheel on the brand side. And, and you can't just make all of these things easily distributed tasks for a shared team. It, it requires too much effort. We think about this with Bamboo Earth and with Modern Fuel and Slick. Those are three really different brands. And so how is Slick going to penetrate the off-road market and become native to a space where people can smell frauds? They know when somebody is not really native to the off-road space. And so Slick is always going to have that challenge. How do we make sure we stay in that space? Okay, Modern Fuel is going to have to develop products and is going to have to maintain a level of product and brand integrity and then figure out how to grow and think of a product development pathway within growth, within growth pathway that's going to get you outside of just niche pens and pencils but to a broader market. And Bamboo Earth, skincare CPG is completely different than those other two and therefore requires a different set of skills to maximize the value of the business. Each of those is its own set of problems, and they require, if you're really going to do well by them, um, they require their own set of thinking. Now, there's some ways to solve this, and we've tried to do this at 4400. We put a brand manager on some of the brands and, and, and have tried to give some dedicated resources mixed with some shared resources. But what we have found is that actually distributing that OPEX just doesn't work very well that you end up leaving too many problems that are important unsolved in the midst of it. Now, maybe it's, and I think this is really possible. Some of that is just on me and on us. Like I, I'm not an amazing operator or manager and I can see all of the mistakes that I've made in trying to get the best out of talented teams and keeping them on task and giving them accountability towards the most important goals. But what I would say is for these aggregators, they actually need to have that skill set, or they need to have that tool in the toolbox. You need to have the real ability to create a well-run machine if you're going to distribute, if you can distribute OPEX. Now, there's other OPEX also, and this is, a, this is another counter-argument, that does distribute really well. For example, pretty much anything having to do with fulfillment, uh, volume just creates efficiency. It just does. And the more that you can, the more volume you can do, the more efficiency you can create by going, not only by um, putting everybody in one warehouse, for example, all the brands in one warehouse, it will save you some costs. But what if you can start going by coastal or what if you can put warehouses in four or five different places across the country and therefore 
by doing enough volume and controlling enough warehouses, you can make all your shipping times shorter and cheaper, all those kinds of things. So there are some other things there, but I'll say it just is not as easy to scale those up. What's more, the more brands you add, the more financially complex the whole thing gets. Because now, instead of doing $20 million in revenue or $100 million in revenue against one brand with multiple channels, you're doing $20 million or $100 million, or you're doing, let's say, uh, $10 million each across a bunch of brands, each across a whole bunch of channels. And therefore, inventory outlays, inventory forecasting becomes a challenge for each brand specifically, demand planning, that sort of thing. All of these things actually pile up. There isn't really shared efficiency in that the way you would think. And then actually getting those um, financial insights down to key team members becomes its own problem. Because if those insights are, are centralized in one place, now you have to do the work of teaching and communicating those to the rest of people um, on the team, okay? At the core, I think that's one of the challenges of this model. And what I actually believe is that on the other hand, more focus is going to help. And there's another element of this that could solve all this. And I wanna come back to this. There is, this is in response to the notion of all of the VC money that's out there right now, or I should just say all the VC that's out there right now. Because there is a lot of VC, that means that it's possible to solve some of these problems as I alluded to via capitalizing really aggressively. If you are not actually trying so much to distribute your OPEX, if you are willing to put talented brand people, if you have some way of recruiting a bunch of great talent, maybe actually part of what you're building is an awesome recruiting machine to get the very best and smartest people in the world and pay them what they're worth and get them to come into your aggregator and to go run these brands for you, then I can see this really working. And, and because there is so much VC available, I could imagine this working for a brand that, or for an aggregator, that they, that they go and say, we're just going to inject a ton of capital into this, hire a bunch of people, and we're not actually primarily going to worry about reducing our costs. We're going to worry more about building a gigantic thing where eventually the costs will look right against them. And that's in some ways more of a traditional VC approach, including with customer acquisition, as well as, as, well as with building out your team. And that can work. Now, here's what I will say about this, though, as well. There is a relationship between, and it's a central relationship, it's core. This is a major learning for me. There is, a, there is an inherent relationship between your capitalization and your goals. And those two must be aligned. They must be aligned for you to, to do this. If you want to create a massive outcome, you better capitalize for it. Otherwise, you're going to take on too much risk and risk the whole thing. And I'll tell you, I've made that mistake at 4 x 400 The mistakes we made with brands that did not work out really hurt us a lot. And, and even some of the early stage brands where they have worked pretty well for us in the grand scheme of things have still cost us a lot of money. And I think one of my own mistakes is that as a CEO is that I didn't approach this problem well enough by, by capitalizing for the kind of outcome that we were trying to create. For a while, we talked about trying to create a $150 million outcome across 4 x 400 and we've not necessarily maintained that exact goal anymore, but that was driving a lot of our thinking. We only raised a million dollars and that was in 2018. And I think like it just was, and that was at a $10 million valuation. So I, I just don't think at this point that, that it really, that really made sense that we should have probably thought about the relationship. And this is my assessment. Some others in our organization may disagree with this, but that we should have thought a little bit differently about how big of an outcome we wanted relative to that level of capitalization. And I'm watching this happen in other places as well. If you want a massive outcome, you better capitalize massively. And then you have to solve those brand problems to scale them to the moon. Unless the pure arbitrage play works out exactly perfectly, like I described earlier. That's important. Now, look, the broad principle here is true. And I think it's true across 
any brand, any aggregator, anything else. If you, for example, like Taylor and I talked about this on an episode not very long. Bootstrapping is awesome, but it shouldn't be fetishized if you are trying to do something really gigantic. If you're trying to do something really gigantic, most times the best way to do something really gigantic, most times, especially if you're trying to do it gigantic and fast, the way you need to do that is to take on a bunch of investment dollars. And then you need to be ready to be obligated to investors and to the outcomes that they're trying to, which is different than the bootstrap model where you're not obligated to those people and you can grow it at whatever pace you want. And if you want an aggregator because you're going to grow it at whatever pace you want, great. Like, great. Just know which one you are in and recognize how that approach, how that changes your approach to raising capital and to your goals. Those two need to be aligned. And what I could imagine happening here is that some of these aggregators don't get that don't get that yin and yang quite right. Yin and yang's the wrong analogy, but okay, number four, and this gets into the announcement that I wanted to make. There is another idea inherent, I believe, in the aggregator model, which is that the opportunities in each of the brands that you acquire are relatively equal. And particularly if you're doing the shared service model. If you believe, if you believe that or if you're going to have shared services from one central thing uh, and run those across multiple brands, it doesn't make sense to do that if one of the brands is actually a much bigger opportunity than the other. That is, if it's way easier to create a million dollars in profit in brand A or the next million dollars in profit or the next $10 million in profit, I should say, any of those in brand A than it is in brand B, then you must, then it only makes sense to align your resources towards brand A. And it's very hard to do in an aggregator. It's really hard. As long as the other brand is there, it requires real operational discipline to not go chase down the problems in brands that are worth less to you than others. And something that I did not really internalize until more recently is that, is that there is this sort of, that assumption that acquiring multiple brands is worth essentially similar outcomes from brand to brand. That assumption is in the veins of this model sometimes. And so... <laughs> I actually want to be careful here. I don't know the inner workings of all of the aggregators that are out there. Maybe they have really detailed ways of determining where resources go and which brands they're going to invest in and which ones they're going to kick to the curb and whatever. I really don't know. Okay. And I don't even, I don't know how all their M&A or how all of their uh, equity structures work and how all of their teams work and all those things. But what we have learned is that it's actually not true that every brand has the same opportunity. The DNA of some brands is sets those brands up so to speak, the DNA, so to speak, that sets those, up, those brands up for a much bigger possible um, eventual return than does the DNA of other brands. And therefore, it's crucial to invest in the best possible opportunities at a higher level or at a level commensurate with how much better of opportunities they are. So if, my, if one of my brands is, has the opportunity to be 3x more valuable than another one of my brands, I need to probably invest 3x the resources in it, at least. In fact, I might want to invest 4x the resources in it uh, because when you take on the Delta for risk, who knows? Anyway, but you get what I'm saying again. And that can be really hard to do is on a team that's not super operationally disciplined. And that actually is a response, I think, in, in part to the notion of the M&A, of the, the path to liquidity in the M&A market being so frothy here, is that I think part of the thing that's going to happen for some of these aggregators is they're going to acquire t- 5, 10, 20 brands, and they're going to discover that two of those brands represent a gigantically lopsided opportunity relative to the other ones. Now, it might be the case that the only way to find those two is to buy 20. 
and therefore it makes the model work and then and the math pencils out at the end that's what i again i don't want to speak too with too much conviction here because i don't know what the answer is there it, it, and i don't know how people are capitalizing relative to that possibility and if that's still a good enough outcome for them but i think that's the way it's going to work and i think people need to plan and because the opportunity is not the same for everything it's and because capitalization matters here a lot you need to know how you are planning and investing your resources relative to the opportunities in front of you and so that brings me to this announcement 4x400 is not going to be, at least for now, who knows, everything can change, an aggregator any longer. We are in the process of, um, of selling all of our brands besides Bamboo Earth. At this point, we have come to the conclusion that Bamboo Earth is by far our largest opportunity. And I want to be really clear about what I'm not saying. I'm not saying that we think Slick and Modern Fuel in particular are not good opportunities. Actually, I think they're both very good opportunities. And I really, it's just that relative to Bamboo Earth and relative to our capitalization, I do not think that they are that good of opportunities. And therefore we think we are making a bet on focus over aggregation. That the next step of this is going to be for us to focus in on this one brand because we think it represents a massively disproportionate opportunity because this brand is so strong in terms of its, in terms of its sort of genetic components. Now, this episode is long enough, so I'm not going to tell you about those genetic components right now. But that is the announcement. 4i400 is moving to put all of its energy into one brand, Bamboo Earth. And in the next couple of episodes, I'm going to tell you a number of things with that. One of them is I'm going to give you an assessment of why we believe that about Bamboo Earth. Another one, the second one, is that I'm going to tell you what we believe about Modern Fuel and Slick and how that stacks up to Bamboo Earth. I think that'll all be, maybe that'll all be one episode. And then another one, I'm going to tell you about my own relationship to that, to those plans and how that's going to change as well. But that's where we are going. And that's what my um, thought is in this moment on how this aggregator model is going to work out for people. I'm very curious to see what's going to happen. It's possible that uh, this is going to work out great because people capitalize for a massive outcome. They get a massive outcome and it goes great. It's also possible that this is a bubble. When you see these markets, the capital markets be so froth. And I've used that word a lot of times now. I heard it from somebody else. But basically, when there's so much uh, capital available, sometimes you do wonder this might actually just be a bubble. I don't really know. We'll see. We'll find out in real time. If I had to guess, I think there's some pretty bubbly things here as we look at brands. But that is our assessment of, or that, that's my assessment of, of what's going on right now. That's the big announcement for us. We are moving entirely to Bamboo Earth. All right. Thanks for listening. I hope that wasn't uh, too much pontificating. It's my honest read on the situation. And uh, maybe I'll have Taylor come on and do an episode with me as well to talk a little bit more about what he's seeing there, what we're seeing there together. Uh, I'd be curious to get fuller thoughts there. And I'm curious if any of you have thoughts as well. Please reach out, tweet at me, slide to the DMs, at Andrew J. Ferris on Twitter. Uh, are you seeing this? What do you believe? What do you think? What did I get wrong? What did I get? I'm just not the kind of person who's going to sit here and make a big, bold, sweeping statement. They're all going to go down or they're all going to work out great or whatever. Um, you know, I think probably most things are a little more complex than that. But as you can tell, I lean a little bit towards the idea that there's maybe a bubble going on here and that some of this is not quite as simple as it looks. Thanks for listening. Uh, I'm going to give you some more updates here very soon about everything else that's going on. As we now go down to this one brand, I just there's still going to be plenty to say about what's going on in the next phase of things. And I appreciate so much that you have come on this journey with us and, and we are learning along the way like you are. And hopefully we'll have more to learn and to report about in the near future. Thanks.